This episode is powered by Safety FM. The Crucial Talks Podcast with your host, Mike Saddam. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Saddam, and welcome back to the Crucial Talks Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Jay Allen. Now, Jay and I are kindred spirit kind of folks. We've kind of gotten to know each other a little bit because we think a little bit along the same lines. We're both out there trying to get a message out to improve lives and workplaces. Now, Jay is the Chief Safety Officer for Safety FM. And I love the goal of Safety FM, which is really to change the way people look at safety. And I love this tagline, one broadcast and one podcast at a time. Now, Safety FM doesn't want safety to be a derogatory term, which is one of the reasons I love the fact that the Crucial Talks podcast is one of the podcasts that is broadcast on Safety FM. We also take a positive strength-based approach to human behavior. And that's why I'm really excited that Jay's our guest today. He truly understands how we can positively impact culture with every conversation we have. So without further ado, let's welcome Jay Allen to the Crucial Talks podcast. How are you doing today, Jay? Oh, pretty good. Thank you for having me on the show. No, it's really cool. I know we've talked a lot in the past. It's great that you actually get to come on and talk to us. So what I'm hoping we could do is talk a little bit about you and how did you come up with Safety FM. What's your background like that got you to this place where you're really broadcasting information out there that, that has this positive impact on people? Well, it's such a long journey. I would love to tell you that it's just kind of like a brief thing and it just kind of flipped, but it, unfortunately, that's not really how the story goes. Uh, I've been in love with radio for as long as I can remember. I can tell you just listening to radio stations when I was a kid and really loving the whole aspect on when you're taking a listen to what people are telling you and how you're making essentially a theater of what's going on because you're, you're taking their words. It's kind of very similar to when you read a book. You have to justify on what the characters seem like and what's going on. And I took that whole aspect and I looked at it and I go, huh, I like radio because of that but what can we do going forward? So, I mean, I can tell you how I got to the safety FM aspect, but that's how my love of radio started. Well, so, and I love this concept. You're talking about radio and using that as a venue and how you create in people's minds, this, this idea or these thoughts or whatever, purely through voice and through pushing that information out. How impactful is that truly to people? I mean, we, we know about TV and movies and that sort of thing, but just this concept of voice and the power of radio and the power of us just talking to each other, where have you seen that power actually come from or where, how valuable is that to people? Well, I'll kind of give you some examples here. So let's kind of take, let's kind of remember for most people for their childhood, Let's use the example that you're trying to watch a channel and you're getting the picture to cut in and out. You'll stick with the channel if you can actually hear the sound. But if you're watching a channel and the sound starts cutting out, most of the times people will turn away. And I noticed that when I was a kid. So that's why the big focus came about doing the audio aspect. And what I've noticed is when you're going inside of your vehicle and you're probably doing it during the most difficult time of the day, which is your your evening or morning commute. And it's probably one of the times where you really don't want to be just sitting there paying attention 100% to traffic. And I know that's a terrible thing to say being in the safety industry, but bear with me for just a moment. 
It's about trying to keep those people entertained and being entertained in a positive form or giving them information that's, we'll say the word crucial to them as they're inside of one of the most difficult times of their day. And I looked at it and go, that is our one-on-one time together because they want to listen to it and they want to know about whoever that host is that's on the podcast, on the show, something that they're interested in. That's how you got them to tune in overall. Well, and because it's so valuable, this time people have where, I mean, it really is valuable. And I have a great amount of respect for for that notion that people are letting us in to some of these critical times of their day, some of these times of days they could spend doing something else. I'm really respectful of their time. So how did we get to this this place you're at now where it's you understood the value of voice and you respected the people that allowed you really into their heads and now focusing on safety. How did you really come up with this idea that you could change behavior positively by giving people an entertaining educational way to spend their time that would also improve their lives? Well, like I tell people, the the version of a show that I do in regards of safety is not for everyone. So I want to make sure that I'm 100% clear on that. And I say that from the aspect of I do things differently because I do it more along the lines of a radio station. And what I did was I went out and I looked at the market and I noticed the podcasts and the shows that were out there. And there were some that were out there that were really, really good. And there were some that sounded like somebody was inside of a bathroom recording it. So I took a look at it and I go, well, I have a background in radio and I teach safety. And I was like, I, that's, there are two things that I'm very, very passionate about. And I th- it was like, there is a target audience that might be interested in listening to what we have to say. And I tried to go about it by it not being boring. Cause that's the thing. How often do you hate going into a meeting where someone's talking to you about a system or a matter or let's use safety as an example, and it becomes boring. And that's what I was trying to avoid. And that's what I kept on looking at going, maybe there's a different way. What I think people would really get some benefit to understanding your background, because your background is not just radio broadcasting. You actually have a significant background in safety. You are a safety expert. So can we hear a little bit about that? Because, and then I want to go back to this notion of not being boring, because I think this would be valuable to not only the safety professionals out there, but the entrepreneurs, the business owners, the managers, the supervisors, the team members, that notion of not being boring and what that actually means. But before we do that, I'd like to just hear a little bit about your background in safety and really your expertise in that and how we got to where we are today with you. Well, the interesting part was that I was actually working in an operational role at a pretty large company that handles transportation. And there was a vehicle incident slash accident that turned into a fatality is really what it boiled down to. And that caused me to start going down the the journey of learning about safety. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say, I, we had this issue and all of a sudden I decided that I wanted to go down and become the safety person and understand it. It just started with progression. I started looking into certain things that I was like, it's more important to get people home. How can we get people home and safe? And I looked at it and that's how my journey started to go into safety. And I looked at the National Safety Council's defensive driving courses, things to that extent. And as I noticed, as I was going down the path, these things intrigued me more and more and more. And I noticed there has to be a better way, but I also knew I did not want to become what we would say, quote unquote, a safety engineer or a safety person. So I decided to look into industrial and organizational psychology. 
And that was the aspect of safety that I, or we'll say of people that I decided to go down. And I took a look at it and I said, if we understand how people interact and how organizations are, maybe we can take a look at this and move forward and apply it to safety, not realizing how many people there were already inside of the industry doing safety from a psychology point of view. So that kind that got me pretty excited as I was doing it. And I kept on hearing concepts of what we call safety 2.0, but I didn't understand that there was a word behind it. I didn't know there was a title. There was a lot of thoughts that I looked at and it went or looked back on and I was like, Hmm, this is interesting on how we could change behaviors because I didn't, I'm not going to say that I wasn't in love with behavior-based safety, but I thought that there was a lot of weird rule sets per se on there. So I don't think that we were doing safety wrong. I just didn't think we were doing it in the best manner, if that makes sense. It does. I think it's valuable for people to understand that, yes, we're talking about safety, but the cool things about what you just said is we're really talking about psychology. We're talking about people. We're talking about, and you said, how people interact. And it's really about those relationships. And that's where I think, you know, a quick explanation about old view versus new view of safety, safety one, safety two, that sort of thing. It really is the concept of, hey, in the old days or the old view, we went from looking at our processes, compliance, procedures, that sort of thing. And that got us really far down the road. But now there's a little change in looking at people as people and how those human beings interact in our systems, which, in my opinion, is valuable not just to safety, but really to any capacity building that we actually want to do in an organization. So can we go back? Because I, I know we, we hit on this. We want to go back to it. But in your history, you even talked about you changed your lens to how can we get people home and safe? You actually flipped the lens from, hey, how do we make sure people are just following rules to this kind of positive outlook on I want to get people home. And that goes back to this notion of dealing with people as people. So how important was that to kind of change your perspective on how you're looking at the people in organizations? Well, that's it's. I look at it and I, it's very hard to explain because I'll tell you when I was an operator in, in the operations standpoint, and this was me, this is not how people are. I'm just saying me in particular. I looked at it as people were more along the lines of, you know, they were there to produce. They were due to be, they were there for, for production. I didn't look at them as, hey, quote unquote, they are a person that has a life outside of this. It was more along the lines of, okay, you're an employee. You just need to do this, get this done, and then that's it. And really didn't care. And once this vehicle incident accident fatality thing occurred, boom, it changed my perspective because I looked at it and I go, well, hmm, if we look at this and we turn it and we make sure that people make it home, if we treat people better, they're going to be more open and receptive to the ideas that we have. And I wasn't trying to justify my mindset on what I was changing, but I was just so surprised. I mean, the first time that you ever go to a vehicle incident where there's a fatality, and hopefully you never have to experience this, but you go through that experience and you see the impact that, number one, it has to the person's family, what it has the impact to the people around, the people they work with, people within the organization and to yourself. It just changes everything. And that opened, opened up my mind of going, boom, what can we do to make sure that they get home safe? Once I started realizing that that was more important, quote unquote, for what the company was generating revenue wise, of course, the company didn't agree with me 100% when I first started down that path, but 
they had to understand of these things are going to have a cost, but we need to really worry more about our people opposed to what costs are. And these trainings are important on how we move forward with it. Well, and it sounds like that the, the idea of cost, I know that comes up all the time with organizations because that is a metric that is, it's really easy to spot and easy to look at and, and easy to record. But really this notion of focusing on the, the people first and trying to figure out how we can better that system that they are interacting in, those costs and those, you know, the profits and the costs and all these things associated with it seem to go in a positive direction as an outcome, just as a normal outcome, if we're focused on the, these other ways of looking at people. So my question, I guess, would be, through your experience, this focus on people and behaviors, how important is it to actually have them involved in that conversation, not just the managers looking at the metrics, but the people that are actually being impacted at the pointy end of the stick? Well, the funny part is that I look back and I remember I was working for a retailer many, many moons ago, and they started with that aspect, and they called it learning from the bottom up. And what they did was they took ideas from people from the from the field inside of the store locations, and they let them roll and test inside of this inside of this particular organization. And some of the best ideas that generated the most revenue and caused things to work well within the organization came from the people that were inside of the store and now the people that were sitting behind a desk inside of our corporate office. And once we started acknowledging more and more that that should have been, or that should be the way that the culture should change going forward, we tested it and we opened this test to two different markets. One was in the Miami market and the other one was in the Boston market. Not a plug for the restaurant, by the way, just in case. Um, But that was one of those things that we looked at and we said, if we implement what their ideas are, can it save the organization? I mean, this organization wasn't doing well at the time. And the more more we looked into it, when we gave the people inside of the organization the opportunity to be open and come up with their ideas, number one, they were in shock at first. But number two, it started to change the way that the culture was perceived inside of the organization. The organization previously was very strict and regimented and it was top-down approach. But once we opened the door and said, Go ahead. Tell us what you think. What have we been doing wrong as managers? What have we been doing wrong as a company and how in an organization? It opened the door wide open for everyone just to say they really do care. They really do want to hear what we have to say. And have you seen this being the same kind of train of thought being valuable for safety also? Well, the funny part is that when you start looking at to the safety differently, and I apologize that I'm turning the whole conversation into safety, but you have to understand this is where I come from. You start telling people that error is normal and that blame fixes nothing and the way that people behave inside of your organization is going to drive the behavior of everybody else. And what we learn there is going to be vital to how that organization is going to change and how the response of the management is going to influence that overall. You have a safety program, a safety culture, something that you're going to start using to change. Now, people start getting all hung up when you start talking about it and saying, hey, this is a philosophy. But this philosophy, besides that you can apply it to safety, you can apply it to a lot of different aspects of people's lives. Well, and I love that because it really does. When I say, when I hear you say error is normal, blame doesn't get us anywhere, and I take out in safety, I could say that about just about anything. Somebody makes a mistake on a spreadsheet and they have a manager or two come down on them. 
What does that actually solve? If we well, can it's, understand- it's not going to correct anything. So imagine that. So all of a sudden, I turn around and go, hey, you messed up the, this, this spreadsheet. What is it going to do? Well, I, I feel better that I was able to do the correction or say something out loud to you about it, but it didn't change anything. I've made the person now feel worse because I brought it up, but it didn't change the overall aspect of it. So then that brings me to a, a point I want to get to you with about safety, but also that's in this broader context. So somebody does make a mistake. We understand people will make mistakes. They're human beings, so they will make errors. But then we say, okay, well, blame doesn't get us anywhere. So then what do we do next? I mean, even in the safety realm, what do we do next? If we have those two thoughts, error is normal, blame doesn't help, what do we do to make them part of a solution that betters the organization? Well, the thing is, you have to be open enough that you're able to take criticism and understand what you have going on with the organization. What a lot of the aspects that we do is something called learning teams. And some people want to do them based off of when an event occurs. But a learning team is grabbing people within your organization that understand how the organization operates or maybe something in a particular department inside of the organization, how it operates. And you have them sit with you for about an hour. And preferably you do this with non-management, non-supervisor staff, just field-level employees. And they're going to tell you what the problems are inside of the organization. Now, they're going to kind of look at you kind of weird at first when you first start the conversation, but you have them tell you what errors do they see inside of the organization? What do they believe can be fixed? What are the aspects on what they would improve? And they'll normally give you a pretty good list. And you make sure that you have it timed out to an hour exactly. After that hour, you stop and you're writing all this stuff down as they're giving you all this information. And it's going to take a moment just for them to get going because they want to feel comfortable. They don't know what, what your, you know, your return is going to be, what you're going to do with this information. So once you're done after the hour, you tell them we're going to meet tomorrow. And we call that overnight soak time. And then you meet again for an hour. Now this gives them the opportunity to think overnight of what other things they forgot to tell you. And number two, some people will already start telling you solutions to some of the problems that were brought up. And as you look at those, most of the people there already know how the organization behaves and what they're willing to spend normally money-wise. So they know that if I come in and say, I have a $50,000 a $50, solution, they're going to go, well, they're only going to let us spend about $2,000, so we need to lower it. They'll give you a solution closer to that price point. So it becomes very interesting because you're, lear- you're learning from the organization, from the people inside of the organization. And I think this is a pretty important topic to to hit real quick is you said that when you bring these folks in, so you bring them in for an hour, you actually ask them questions to get feedback and then you give them this overnight soak time. And I love this idea because they have time to think about it. They come back with either more ideas or even solutions. And then you said something that I think is the key point. You said that the people you bring in, they understand how the organization behaves. Now, in my experience, I've seen it in other organizations where the C-suite executives, managers, they may, they may have a meeting. They may try to come with solutions. They may try to come with problems, but they may be so far removed that they don't really understand how the organization is actually working at the pointy end of the spear. And it really comes back to this idea of work is imagined versus work is actually happening. Is that what you're seeing in these learning teams that 
the people you bring in, those levels, those different levels of the organization are critical to understanding what is actually happening. Well, that's exactly how it goes because you're dealing, you're interacting with people that understand exactly what's going on. And that's the thing. People are, res- are resilient in regards of how they do work because you'll have a worker that will sit there and tell you, okay, imagine it's day one of a training. They're going to tell you, well, this is how I'm supposed to train you, but this is how we actually do it. And people will adjust to getting the work done, even if it's not the way that it's written out. Now, when I go into an organization, as in most of the times I would imagine any consultant that goes into an organization, it happens with the exact same way. I'm there because they they have they notice they found that they have a problem. They want me to really be able to see what the problem is and try to correct the problem. Now, what I find funny about the whole thing is when I walk in, you, they normally put me with someone who is probably not going to self-report. So if I'm interacting with, let's say, for instance, uh, vice president of operations, and they believe that the issues in operations, well, the VP of operations is probably going to have a very hard time trying to tell me this is the issue that I'm, that I'm having, unless it's a fatality, just kind of the way that it works. So what I've noticed is that when we start doing the learning teams and we have just field level employees, the people that truly understand the work and that are doing it, they're willing to be open, but they want to see what is the point that you're coming from first. I'm going to tell you that initial conversation as you're starting it off, they want to make sure that they're not going to be held accountable or I shouldn't probably say accountable, but they're not going to be held well, 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 accountable is probably a bad word here, but they're, 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 they're not going to be punished for the information they're given. They give to me. And now the other portion that I look at there is I don't write down any of the names of the people who actually gave, gave me the information. And the reason I don't do that is because I don't think that I need to go back to management and say, well, this guy that was inside of this particular department of your organization said that you have this, this, and this issue because that's going to put it in a bad light. But when an organization goes down this path, you can have those open conversations where you can say whatever it is that's on your mind and be willing to be open to it. Yeah, and I think that openness is something that's pretty important. And a couple of things you hit on there, the fact that sometimes when you talk to people, they probably won't self-report. Now, that is something that exists in organizations across this country, really across the world of people not wanting to self-report. But you also said something of interest there that said, you found that the field level personnel, the workers are open, but they want to see the point. They want to understand where they're going. And it seems like if you can give them that nugget of information and give them a purpose for why they're part of this team, that could go a long way in this notion of openness and trust within that group so that you can get the information you need. Oh, absolutely. Now, the other portion you have to think about is, let's say, for instance, we're, we're interacting with worker Billy and Billy all of a sudden is up soon for a raise and he turns around and he self-reports and he goes oh i had this issue and i wanted to point it out just to give you the information on what occurred well if billy knows that his review is around the corner there's nothing wrong with billy but billy might not tell you because he doesn't want you to remember that during the review and it might lower his overall increase that he might get but if you get into an organization that's open and you can have those conversations you should be able to self-report. And I'm not going to say you're not held accountable, but that all of a sudden it's not going to play a factor to your review portion. The other portion that I look at is that if you're able to self-report and it is a common error that can actually be corrected, that is a discussion point. That's where you start that you can build from. 
And I think that right now we're still organizations that are, or we still have organizations that are out there that are learning to adjust to that. What do you do when someone gives you the information and says, okay, we have problem on assembly line X and this is a continuing issue and we believe that this is going to be an occurrence down the road. Are you open-minded enough to say, okay, let's go ahead and correct it? Or is it one of those things that we look back and go, oh, we're not open-minded enough. Let's see an issue occur and then we'll look into it. Because that's a lot of the other aspect. And I don't want to go off on a tirade here, but when an emotional event occurs inside of the organization where something has occurred, they'll focus on that problem for the next six weeks. And all of a sudden, we're going to have to have a mandatory training on this because this event occurred. And someone who's not even tied into where the event happened all of a sudden now has to be part of this training because everyone inside of the organization needs to be trained on it. And that's, yeah. emotion, and that's the emotional event. Well, and that emotion, I mean, I, I get it, right? That emotion is a really strong driver of behavior. But what I, I hear you saying, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong here, but because that emotional event kind of gets put uh, under focus or in the spotlight and they're focused on that, like, this is the problem. This is the issue. We, this is bad, 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 bad. And all they do is focus on that. It kind of detracts from where the organization could ultimately gain some benefit from that negative event. Oh, absolutely. I, I agree with you with what you're saying there, because the, that becomes the focus and not what can, what controls can we put into place? What safeguards can we put into place for it, for it to occur? If that occurs, where it doesn't become a catastrophic event inside of the organization. Now, you, you have to come to the realization that safeguards are going to need to be put in place for any organization that you're interacting with. I hate this whole aspect where people sit around and I'm going to go back into my little safety speech of let's drive to zero, let's have zero occurrences. Well, I'll tell you, I'll take a broken arm every day of the week over a fatality every day of the week. So you have to look at where, where your value is and where do you look at? Now, of course, the goal is always not to have anyone injured, period. But let's be realistic. You, there is no such thing as 100% perfect organization that has no injuries. And it drives me crazy when I start hearing these people as they are like, oh, we haven't had any injuries in a million hours. Have you not had any injuries in a million hours or have you not had anyone report an injury in a million hours? What's the difference? And I think that is a key point also because you said, hey, I'd rather take a broken arm over a fatality. And I think a lot of people get into this idea that, hey, if we do prevent the slips and falls, if we do prevent the broken arms, if we do prevent the, you know, the lost time injuries or those reportable things that we're looking at, those metrics that are kind of easy to gather, we get into this – we tell ourselves these stories in our organizations that if we are – good at preventing those things, then the really bad thing won't happen. Is that an accurate way to look at things? Oh, absolutely. Because here's the thing. People will go, okay, well, we prevented this ankle sprain, but will that same injury that caused the ankle sprain cause a fatality? That's what you have to look at when you're looking at these inside of the organizations. And I think that sometimes people get the information a little bit backwards on when they're looking at it. They have really good intentions on when they start on these rule sets and what they want to implement and so on, but they're not looking at the, at the big picture. And I'm not going to say that you're having a super error or a super failure, but you know that there's certain things inside of the organization that are not going to work on how they're set up currently. 
Well, so it sounds like we almost have to have a couple of different lenses. I mean, if, I agree with you that, hey, you've got to prevent the broken arms and all that. I mean, we don't want that stuff to happen. We also need to be realistic that that stuff is going to happen, but it's almost like two different lenses. Like we need to look at those those little things, obviously, because we don't want those those injuries to happen. We don't want the lost time, but we also have to understand this this notion that those things may not be causing or may not cause that out of the ordinary, that systems failure, the normal accident, like Charles Perot called it, that that happens outside of those kind of regular things that might happen. It almost seems like we need those two different lenses to kind of understand that the policies we put in place may not be and probably aren't those controls we actually need to be able to absorb one of those major incidents happening. Well, what you have to look at, too, is that let's use the example of you have somebody who is a policy writer who's writing what policies need to go inside of an organization. Or you can have someone who is a worker who has been doing the work for the last five years. Which one are you going to take? Are you going to take the person who does the work for the last five years or are you going to take the policy writer? I mean, the prettier version is going to be the policy writer. Don't get me wrong. But when you start looking at it as the person who's doing the work is probably going to have a better understanding on what needs to be done. And then I want to go back for a moment and really address what, what you were referencing. What you have to look at with this whole thing of safety differently or human performance is that there's different performance modes. And it's the way that people think. Some people are going to be skill-based, so they're going to understand exactly what needs to be done because they've done the work. There's going to be some people that are rule-based, and those are going to probably be more of like your policy writers who are saying, hey, this needs to be done this way because this is going to help the company, this is going to protect our insurance, and so on. And then you have people that are knowledge-based, that they understand the knowledge of what needs to be done and how they should be able to tie this into the system, but maybe they're just knowledgeable and never have done the skill work or have never done the rule work. So it's different. It's just different because everybody's going to look at it differently. A field employee is going to be different than a, somebody who's inside of a C-suite or somebody who's actually inside of your human resource department. You just have to look at the different lenses that are available. This whole thing with safety differently or human performance can be adjusted as you go and how your system and how your organization and system works. But the buy-in has to come from the, from the C-level. The C-suites has to buy into it. This is a very difficult thing to do inside of an organization if your CEO or your C-suite people are not following along or believe in the system even working. Well, I think where we're kind of going to wrap up here, I think this is going to be very, very valuable for people because of obviously we have safety folks listening, but we also have managers and we have supervisors and we have people that are just wanting to gain more knowledge. So where you just went there, I think is really interesting of where I want to go to actually get your experience with that. Because we talked about these learning teams, bringing the people in that know how the work is getting done, that understand how the organization behaves. So we get this information. We have them there for an hour. They sleep on it. We bring them back. We get more information. We might even get some solutions from that. But now you're going up. Now you're going to be engaging with the C-suite or executives or high-level managers that are the ones that can actually implement change or have an impact. When you have those conversations, what kind of techniques or tactics are you using to have those conversations to at least try to get that that trajectory changed a little bit to get that buy-in or to get that decision that might help some of the people out there that are going to have to have these tough conversations with their C-suite. 
Well, the interesting part is that you almost always have to start off on what the pain point was on why you got into the organization in the first place. So if I'm getting the phone call of coming into your organization, it's normally because it's a problem. Well, you have to bring up the pain point. You have to bring up the discoveries and the solutions that were brought in from the people within the organization. And when you start saying your solutions are already here and you are have a system that could lead to X. And when I say lead to X, meaning that it can change and adjust to what you're looking for based on the people that you have here and doing these learning teams, some people are very open to it, but some people think that it's new wave, uh, new wave safety woo woo. And it's too much for them. I, I'll, I'll be honest. It's just like, what it's that's that whole method of, well, how do you track it and how do you measure it? And, I'm so used to behavior-based safety, and this is something I can't do. That's why you have to build off of what's there. So it can't be an overnight change. I normally tell people that you have to have your organization ready for this mind shift. If they're not ready, this is too big of a step. If I did this all in one one stop when I'm actually at an organization, there's no way that they're actually going to, to flip over that quick. It becomes one of those things where you start the conversation, and you start off of, you have to build your centers, your organizations on how you want to change and do a revolution inside of there, meaning that you have to start thinking about what can we do to change? How can we change the aspects opposed to it? Here's the philosophy. We're changing overnight. There's just no way that it's going to work or it's going to stick. So I hope I answered the question to some extent, but I think that there's so much of that railroad that needs to be built out as you're doing it. Keep in mind that this is a path that's not going to occur overnight and it's an ongoing conversation because what happens with people is because people are people. You're going to default to what you're accustomed to. And when you default to that, it's not that you failed. It's that you just need to readjust of what, that you went back to where you were and let's kind of get you back because that's the thing. Error is always going to be normal and we're all humans and that's just the way that it works out. Yeah, I love what you said there. It's almost like if I had a big ship and I just turned the rudder all the way one direction, it's still going to keep going the way it's going. You're better off even making those small incremental changes. It sounds like people are kind of the same way. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's all about starting a revolution inside of the organization on where you're trying to get. Because at the end of the day, if you're in an organization, you're there to make money. Let's just be realistic. And let's make sure that we're getting people home the same way that we got them. It's so important. And just that simple mind shift as we go And I'm not trying to get into this new wave safety woo-woo stuff. I'm just trying to say, if you look at it and you take a look at what you can change, and it's not so much of the rule and people being scared of, oh, here's the safety officer. Here's a person from the safety department. Here's a safety gal. Here's a safety guy. And more of, here's someone who can assist. And they look at safety as something that is good for the organization and not just a rule set. It will help your organization in the long run. Well, Jay, that's all great information. So people out there listening, I mean, you have your own following that know how to get in touch with you, that know what it, all about Safety FM and what it offers. But for the new folks that may not have heard you before but want to reach out or want to get in for more information about Safety FM or just want to get more information about the, the stuff you're broadcasting, how do they get in touch with you? How do they listen to the broadcasts that are out there? What kind of things do you offer? How do, how do you 
how do you build out this network um, with people right now that are listening that want to reach out to you? Well, the easiest way to do it is just to come to safetyfm.com. The pretty much everything under the sun's right there. It gives you all the information about our network, the different shows and podcasts are available. And then, of course, the streaming radio, Internet station and any kind of services that we do have to offer for you. And I always tell people, come on by. We have so many different versions of safety shows and anything that you can imagine we have there and we try to tailor it. And we're always trying to bring on new hosts and guests. Um, that way we can actually take the approach of what you're looking for. Well, hey, Jay, thanks again for coming on. I know we've been wanting to do this for a while. I really appreciate it. I'll make sure I put a link to safetyfm.com. And, and really, thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. I really do appreciate it. All right, everybody out there, if you got value from this discussion we just had with Jay Allen from Safety FM, please let us know about it. Go ahead and click the, the review, rate the podcast, share it with your friends. I would greatly appreciate it. And if you have a chance, I'd love for you to visit me at CrucialTalks.com. And if you need to connect with me, you can do so on email, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, whatever works for you. Have a great week. And remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people. Please review, share, and subscribe to the Crucial Talks podcast. Visit CrucialTalks.com.